Hello, and welcome to Mount Mercy's campus. Um, I just want to thank you all for attending on this very cold evening and making the journey to the top of the hill. Um, and the many people in my life that have influenced this moment. I remember being four years old, racing my older brother in a downhill 50-meter stretch and winning. I remember being nine, and after beating all the boys and girls, my PE teacher asked why I ran so fast. And I responded, when I see someone, I just have to get them. <laughs> I remember my first year in high school cross country and being a top finisher on the varsity team in my junior year, where I broke course records and won my conference meet, missing state by just a few places. I remember being 17, running faster than anyone I knew, and being told how bright of a future I had. This was my year, and nothing was going to change that. I also remember my injury, that mysterious pain that resided on my right hamstring that left me in pain on the course and tears at the finish. I remember the injury that I thought stole my potential, and the injury that reminded me what faith is all about. I really don't like change. In fact, the only thing worse than change is unpredictability. I have a plan, and the plan I have is what is going to happen. Unfortunately, Life loves unpredictability and throwing a curveball much too often. And often, my plan is not an accurate predictor of reality. For instance, in grade school, they would pull sticks from a jar to decide who would have to answer the next question. And the nerves that raced through my body were unmatchable. The desperate inner pleas of, Lord, I will do anything you want of me if my name does not get pulled. My name still got pulled. And I lived. There was a time I showed up to sing at Mass one Sunday evening in high school and was told that I had to do the psalm alone in front of the whole congregation. Up until this point, I had hidden myself in the back. Oh, the desperate inner pleas of, Lord, I will do anything you want of me if I don't have to sing by myself in front of all these people. I had to do it. And I lived. <laughs> this one time, I had a plan to not continue living. No desperate inner pleas, only silence and emptiness. It didn't happen, and I lived. Sometimes, even when you feel so alone and you aren't even asking God for help, he is still there to pull you out of your darkest times. But there's a lot of story that leads up to that, and thankfully, a lot of story after that. I'm going to break up my story into four parts. Roots, home, 
darkness, and light. My hope is that by the end of tonight, each and every one of you in this room will be able to see the works of God, even when walking through the darkest valley. Roots. I am a cradle Catholic, raised by two loving and hardworking parents who put me in the middle of two brothers for safekeeping. I have a boyfriend of three years that has supported me and literally kept me alive when things got tough. There was never a time that I doubted God's existence, and I would like to thank my faith-rooted upbringing for that and the way my parents guided me lovingly rather than forcefully in my faith. They encouraged my brothers and I to ask questions and explore everything the church had to offer. I fell in love with running at a young age, following in my mom's footsteps. Running kept me grounded in my faith. I knew I wasn't just lucky or talented. I knew my gift and my passion were fueled by something greater than I could imagine. They were fueled by God. I had run my whole life and joined the high school cross country team my freshman year. It wasn't the cool thing to do, but I loved to run, and I trusted in something bigger than the trend. My freshman year, I made varsity, and not long after, I was the top runner, not only on my team, but also in my conference. I looked forward to practices, I enjoyed racing, and I loved pushing myself. I found that when I said a quick Our Father before the race, my nerves would calm down and I would get even more excited to run. If you saw me on the starting line, moments before the gun went off, you would see me do a quick sign of, a, sign of the cross as a reminder that I wasn't alone for the next 20 minutes. I made some of my best friends through running and even became close to girls on other teams. Even at some of my worst races, girls from other schools were there to pick me up. And when it came time, I did the same thing. I never left a finish line until every runner had crossed because I never wanted them to feel alone on their journey. Running isn't just an individual sport. It requires companionship and humility to really go far. I used running as a way to serve the Lord. I learned what it meant to be humble by never seeing myself as greater, but rather an equal. I learned what it meant to be a companion by encouraging and helping others along the way. And I learned that I could be the best me, not when I made myself bigger, but when I made myself smaller. The next couple years just got better. I got stronger and faster. I had schools contacting me with scholarship opportunities and people who supported me with every ounce they had. I had put all I had into running. I'd also taken on my faith as my own 
and I knew I wanted to go to a Catholic school. But still, I thought I could go anywhere, do anything, and really be something. Running was my identity. Running was who I was. My senior year of high school changed everything that I had been working so hard for. At the beginning of the championship season, I had an injury that caused pain in my right hamstring and set me back. In the beginning, we tried easing back mileage and working on strengthening. And I hope to be back in the next two weeks for the state qualifier meet, where I was determined to finally qualify after four years. I didn't qualify, and I shrugged it off. I finished my last high school cross-country season injured and defeated, and I tried not to be too upset. But deep down inside, a fire had died, and it would take a few years for it to all burn out. I began track season, and it was one disappointing race after another. Physical therapy was working, but I was already so behind, I couldn't keep up with the girls I used to be so competitive with. Dreams of collegiate running slowly began to slip away. Then, I remembered a coach telling me about this small Catholic school in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that was looking for female runners. I had let it slip from my mind because why would I go to Iowa? <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was taking a visit to the school and then signing to run there. I don't know how or why Coach Shekel trusted in the abilities of an injured girl, but he did. And I thanked God that I had this opportunity. Home. I am from the city of Bakersfield in the Central Valley of California, just two hours north of Los Angeles. You could say moving to Cedar Rapids was a drastic change for an 18-year-old California girl. <laughs> I packed my life into three suitcases and a backpack. I couldn't fit everything, so I had to leave some things behind, including my family and friends. Unlike the other things that could be shipped to me, I would have to go four straight months without physical contact with any of them. Saying goodbye was one of the hardest things I had to do. To my family, to my friends, to my boyfriend. But I trusted in God's plan for me. I knew he had plans that I did not know of, and I knew I just needed to have faith. My mom flew with me to Cedar Rapids and stayed for a few days, helping me to get settled in. But soon enough, it was time for her to go. And I was left here on my own for the first time in 18 years, 1,800 
miles away. That first semester went by slow, counting down the days until I could return home. Running was completely different. I had to learn how to compete on grass rather than dirt and concrete like back at home. I had to accept that my family wouldn't be waiting for me at the finish line. And I had to learn how to finish a race and walk back alone while others could be in loving arms. But I still had a fairly successful season and ended up being an individual qualifier for the national meet by the help of my fellow teammates and the support of my coach. I also became involved with campus ministry and found comfort with the staff and other peer ministers. I was able to bring a lot of ideas I had to the campus. I felt needed and I felt included. But something was still missing. Running had always fulfilled me, but even with being exposed to more running than ever before, I still felt empty. Even with the opportunities to blossom with campus ministry, I still felt stuck. I didn't have the same type of pure joy that I once had, both in running and in my faith. It didn't come easy like it once had before. I was being challenged, and I wasn't prepared for this sudden change. Darkness. The summer after my freshman year was filled with uncertainty. I didn't want to leave again. I didn't want to go back to Iowa and be hundreds of miles away from the ones I loved. So I started looking at other options and where else I could go. I didn't know how I would transfer or where I would go, and I knew I would probably have to drop competitive running. I didn't know if continuing to attend a great school that gave me so many amazing opportunities was worth being so lonely and depressed. My boyfriend, Tyus, encouraged me to talk to my parents about how I was feeling. But they had their own things to deal with, and they didn't need to worry about me. I decided to give it another year and try it out one more time. My sophomore year of school was very stressful. For the biology program I am in, this was a time when we took some of our most advanced courses and stress levels increased significantly. Along with school, I was also running, peaking at 64 miles a week. This meant a whole lot of double days to get in all of my miles. In the spring during my sophomore year, I started to notice a pain in my right hamstring that hurt when I ran. That same pain in the same place as my injury a couple years back. This is a reoccurring injury. I knew what was going on, and I tried to get a handle on it before anything got worse. I began physical therapy, 
but it wasn't working. It was still painful to run, but I kept doing it anyways. I didn't want to be a disappointment, but I felt like I was becoming one. Slowly, my grades began to slip. In my faith life as well. I still believed in God, and I still knew there had to be a plan, but I couldn't see it. I could only focus on the day in front of me, and it wasn't getting better. I began isolating myself from those who cared about me. I started to think how I wasn't enough. I was angry that I had moved hundreds of miles away from home to do something that I wasn't good at anymore. I was frustrated that I couldn't be the runner that coach had recruited and trusted in. I was mad I wasn't the student that I used to be, and I was lost. Lost about who I was and who I was going to be. I had let something so inconsistent become my whole identity. You know, I fly quite frequently, and every time I get onto the plane, there's this moment of questioning if something will go wrong. And when you hit turbulence, there's usually some fear that runs through your body. The sudden change causes your heart to beat fast and your palms start to get sweaty. I remember flying home my sophomore year for spring break. We hit turbulence, and I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel scared. Death didn't scare me because I thought the outcome would be better than how I was living. I quickly tried to shake that thought but it still stayed in my mind. On my team, there were two of us who had the longest mileage, and we ran together for all of our runs. When you run 40 to 64 miles a week with someone, you start to get pretty close. We talked about anything. On one long run, we talked about a woman, Kathy Ormsby who ran at North Carolina State. During the 10,000 meter run, with two miles left to go at the 1986 NCAA Championships, she ran off the track to a bridge and jumped in a sudden suicide attempt. Kathy had given her life to running, and when the race wasn't going the way she predicted it to, she paid the ultimate price. The pressure she had put herself under got the best of her. She lived, but is now paralyzed from the waist down. The story stood out to me. That moment in her life was so unpredictable, and it changed her life in every possible way. Running had become her identity. And when the race didn't go as planned, she was lost on who she was.
and she believed that death would be better than failure. My final race of the track season was a horrible 10K on a hot day on a black track. Every lap, I wanted to quit. And Kathy's story replayed in my mind. I thought, how nice it would be to just be done with everything, end my life doing the thing that had always brought me so much joy. Maybe I could finally be happy with the outcome of a run. I wasn't focused on my race. I was focused on the end. And not just the end of the race, but the end of my life. I traveled home for summer a couple weeks later. And I thought I would be happier. I wasn't. I isolated myself from my family. I worked early in the morning until the afternoon, and I would come home, go straight to my room, and stay in there for the entire evening until I left for work again. I wasn't running, not even attempting. I mean, I was in pain when I ran. The unpredictability of the outcome of a run prevented me from even trying to be better. I wanted to just be better. Running had always set me free, but it was becoming something that trapped me in and reminded me of all my failures and disappointments. What was once an identity I rejoiced in was quickly becoming an identity I was ashamed of. I would start arguments with my family and with my boyfriend, really just to feel something other than emptiness. Emptiness is a feeling. It's ironic because you actually feel so heavy and so weighed down that you can't give any more. You can't try any longer. I hardly did anything. I didn't go anywhere. I cried until I couldn't cry anymore. Again, Tyus encouraged me to talk to my parents because they could help me. But I couldn't bring myself to say anything. I didn't know how or when or what to say, so I internalized it. Mostly, I was mad that my parents didn't see the changes in my behavior. I began to think they didn't care or were too caught up in their own lives to even notice what was going on in mine. None of that was true, but that's what I believed. However, on one of my scariest and most intense nights I had experienced, I realized I wasn't alone and people did care. It was a day I was feeling alone and helpless, feeling lost and uncertain, disappointed with the most intense sadness I had ever felt. And yet all of this was so unexplainable. I was on the phone with Tyus telling him I was upset and sad and lonely. I was depressed. 
I sat alone in my dark room and began recounting the reasons to live. I thought of God and how precious life is. Yes, God, of course, I thought. But for a moment, I slipped. And I wasn't fearful to die. I wasn't fearful of the outcome of death. I wasn't fearful of what would become of my soul. As I sat shaking and crying uncontrollably, I looked for an end. I didn't know how it would happen or when, but I had this force within me urging me to find it and find it fast. By this time, Tyus knew to get my mom on the phone. He met up with her within the next 10 minutes and he told her everything that he had been encouraging me to say for the past year. All the thoughts that were supposed to leave, all the sadness that was supposed to disappear, and all the brokenness that was supposed to be mended. I was alone in the darkness of my room when the light switched on. Light. I begin this part of my story when I had lost all hope and darkness was my only company. My mom walked in and flipped on my light. She looked worried. She sat with me for a long time. And even though I hated it, and even though it was unexpected, I didn't feel so alone. The thing is, that even through all those times that I expressed loneliness, God was always there. He was working through the people I loved here on earth. They had been there even when I didn't think they were. And that is apparent to me as I look back at that time. I had support, and I had people surrounding me who actually cared. These same people encouraged me to seek counseling. It took a lot of convincing, but I eventually went, and I learned how to cope with the things that I felt. A couple weeks later, my family and I joined other parishioners from my parish on an excursion to Italy for 10 days. I remember feeling so overwhelmed during this trip and mentally exhausted from having to put on a mask 24-7. But at the same time, I experienced God's grace. In Vatican City, I had the opportunity to go through the doors of mercy. My naive mind thought I would feel completely different once I walked through those doors. I expected to feel a zap of mercy run through my body to gain understanding and a stronger faith. I didn't get zapped, and I felt the same on both sides of the door. Little did I know, God was planning something else for me. Where I found God's presence wasn't where I was surrounded by the Swiss guards or walking through St. Peter's Basilica, but in the little village of Assisi, 
Assisi is the home to St. Francis of Assisi. If you're not familiar with him, St. Francis grew up in a wealthy family and, de and decided to leave all the money behind to live in poverty and preach the word of God, which eventually led to the founding of the Franciscan order. He illustrates the true meaning of giving all you have to God. Assisi is a quaint village on the top of a hill overlooking the countryside of Italy. And I would highly recommend for all of you to put this on your bucket list immediately. It is a gem hidden away in the hills and nothing exceeds its beauty. Of all the places I went while in Italy, all except Assisi were filled with the hustle and bustle of a progressive city, tourists, graffiti, and trashy souvenir stores. There is nothing but peace in the Holy Spirit in Italy, in Assisi. I look back through the pictures, and my smile is the most genuine while I was there. St. Francis's story was inspiring, and I felt God's presence among the peace and quiet of that hilltop village. St. Francis's story reminded me of being humble with the gifts God has given you, to place God in the center of all that you do, and to recognize the presence of God in every person and in every situation. It may come as a surprise, but throughout this time, my prayer life was actually existent. My problem was praying for things to just be better without any of the work. I was expecting God to do all the work. I was expecting him to hand over blessing upon blessing while I sat there, not even attempting to make a change. You see, God is there for you, and he will help you when you have nothing left. But the only way to make a real change is if you trust in his guidance and change with him. Although I felt alone and empty, I'm not sure if I would have gone through a suicide. But being in that situation where you're flooded with negativity and hatred towards yourself, where your mental breakdown is so intense that you just shake, and your identity is lost, is a real scary place to be. Some people will joke and say, I'll kill myself if something doesn't go right. And I'm guilty of that as well. But this was different. This was real. When I said this in my mind, I knew it wasn't a joke. I knew it was something more something that scared me because of how real it felt saying that. Since I have trusted more in God and his guidance, I have comfort in knowing I'm not alone. When you have a relationship with God, you won't ever truly be alone because you will be confident in knowing he is always with you. This year, 
we began faith-sharing small groups. And my prayer life has strengthened. And I have found many trusting companions to walk with me on my faith journey. Again, God is working through the people here on earth to be a saving grace. Every Thursday evening, I experience God's grace so vividly. If the story impacted you in any way, I encourage you to think about joining one of these small groups. But even so, I wasn't instantly healed. I didn't automatically feel better about who I was or what I was doing. It took time. And it's still taking time. It's a lot of work to convince yourself that what you're thinking isn't true. But I have found many people in my life to help me overcome my thoughts. And these same people stand with me and support me, whether life goes as planned or if it throws a curveball. Being an athlete is tough. There are so many responsibilities you have to balance, and then you have to throw in practice and getting enough sleep and eating healthy. It isn't easy, and no one ever said it would be. But when it gets tough and it doesn't go as planned, that's when it's the best time to rely on God and trust in his plan for you, not your plan for yourself. I had let running become my identity, something that is so inconsistent and unpredictable, while all along, I should have made my faith my identity. Because God is constant. I realized the gift that God had given me to run. And even if I wasn't as fast as I used to be, I wasn't going to quit because of the disappointments I had encountered. Once I had control of my thoughts, I challenged myself to get back in shape. I embraced the change that came when I began to push myself. I remembered why I loved running. I recognized that I needed to be disciplined in my faith, just like I'm disciplined in running. I remember that it's fueled by God. And as long as I give him the glory, running can bring me joy. It began to once again set me free. I began this past cross country season still injured but getting healthy. I trusted in my coach and believed what he told me. And I tried being so hard on myself. And I took control of my life. Even though some runs were still painful, I learned to accept the unpredictability of being an athlete. My season took a turn, and I know God was with me. I ended up qualifying individually for nationals and broke the school record in the 5K time. I'm actually back to where I was before that injury my senior year of high school. I never would have imagined that the injury that stole my final high school seasons of running would lead me to some of the best people, amazing opportunities, 
and a stronger faith. When I look back, unpredictability has made me who I am. Change has made me a better person. And the plans that never work out are just God's way of telling us that he knows what's best if we just have faith. Thank you. As you probably noticed, there is a guitar sitting out, and I would like to end my talk um, singing a song that um, has really impacted me. Um, it's by a band called All Sons and Daughters, and they are fabulous, and I recommend listening to them. The song is called I Am Set Free, and um, I think it really relates to my story. So I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> 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 